0: You're listening to the 202
1: Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards, as we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, Visit dcarts.dc.gov.
0: Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today, we're joined in the studio with a mixed media artist, printmaker, and co-founder of Black Artists of DC, Ms. Ziza Gibson-Hunter. Ziza, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, So let's talk a little bit about how did you first get involved in the arts and what drew you to, to printmaking uh, specifically?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> I've been an artist all my life and uh, printmaking in particular uh, attracted me because there was a certain democracy about it in that uh, you're creating mm-hmm. multiple images. And so instead of a one particular piece having a um, being priced uh, higher because it all of the effort goes into that one particular piece. Uh, with printmaking, you're creating a plate where you're creating multiples of that image. And then the price can come down a bit and make it uh, make the piece available to more people. And so that was uh, of interest to me.
0: So that's a, a very interesting uh, take on it, the, the democratization of, of the art that I hadn't thought about. But I think that's... Uh, accurate to to make it more accessible how do you respond to someone who might say but if you're creating multiples then what is the original what's the one the the original form of the piece that has the 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 value of it as opposed to the copies or is there such a thing
1: well um in printmaking, you're making a uh, plate, usually, some type of a matrix, and that matrix is original. You usually uh, have a number. Let's say your edition is 20 pieces. Those, Each one of those pieces, the way that you have to rub and work the plate, each one is original. So, um, but the... Uh, the matrix that you work, that be it copper or zinc or what wood. Um, is, uh, an original piece in itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's not as if you go to a copy machine right. and just copy it off.
0: Right. Yes. I, and I think that sometimes might be a, a misconception for some people. Very when they much hear so. Printmaking, a, it's like, Oh, I don't want to buy a print. I want the original. Because-
1: well, because people use, uh, print and reproduction, sometimes there's confusion there. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important to be clear, uh, about the distinction between a print and a reproduction.
0: So you uh, continued your studies in printmaking at Howard University, yes. uh, you received an MFA there, um, and then you also, uh, when you returned to Howard uh, as faculty, uh, you worked to get a grant that uh, installed non-toxic yes. printmaking equipment. Uh,
1: yes.
0: So. It, and they became one of the few non-toxic studios in the country. Is that correct?
1: Very much so, yes.
0: And is that still the case? Is printmaking still sort of a... <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, um, Howard, and this is happening across the country, decided to, um, to uh, liquidate its printmaking department. Mm. Um, I think with the new media there's been an interest, a lot of departments are taking on some of the new media. So you'll have things like video and that type of thing, Uh, graphic arts, the um, bringing in the computer work. And so um, unfortunately, printmaking departments, many printmaking departments in universities have been um, lost. Mm. And it's unfortunate because the the process that you go through in making a print is very deliberate. It requires patience and attention to detail, and and um, I'm finding that it services any area that you go into. <clears throat> it um, it helps to develop those that that um, propensity to. Um, to pay attention to close detail. And, um, and that's being lost, I think, in, in some departments, and it's a sad thing.
0: Is that being driven by a lack of interest on the students' parts to pursue it, or cost, or a combination of factors?
1: Well, it is. it, de- it demands a discipline that is, um, I think today, with the technology, it has, um, it's more challenging, I think, for students to, um, that kind of work, you may work a plate for three months. Hmm. So that type of patience and diligence, I think sometimes is challenging for young people today.
0: Hmm. Are there still uh, avenues for someone who might be interested in learning the skills to Oh yes, I mean there
1: them. there are there are um, those of us that hang on with everything we've got. So yes, there are places here in Washington D.C. area. There's uh, Pyramid Atlantic, where people can um, can learn the different printmaking processes, and uh, several universities still have their printmaking departments intact.
0: And I know you've uh, also become involved in, in mixed media arts as well, you, but you, do you still pr- work in printmaking as well? Or?
1: Well, what I wanted to do was to, um, I found that over time I wanted a certain immediacy. Um, and I wanted to combine printmaking with painting. So I uh, started on that uh uh, journey about mm, about 10 years ago and so um, I have combined printmaking painting and collage hmm. yes
0: so let's talk a little bit about uh, you've been a grantee of the commission or uh, an artist fellowship recipient yes uh, a couple of times I yes. believe mm-hmm. um, what what motivated you to apply for those grants and how did those grants uh, support you or benefit you Uh, in your career?
1: Well, um, the motivation was I just needed help. Right. And and they are wonderful um, um, resources in that there's, for artists, a lot of times your economic situation is one of um, bust or boom. (laughs) Um, And then you have to negotiate that. When a grant comes through, it gives you the opportunity to think in terms of, uh, it gives you the opportunity to think a little more long range Mm -hmm. about what equipment or materials you might need. Um, I find it very, very important for artists to use those grants to think in terms of the uh, documentation of their work of our work and also the, um, the care of the work. So things like flat files, which can be a enormous um, uh, challenge uh, financially to purchase. But through a grant, you could get flat files and then the work is cared for. And, I, and I'm specifically, um, um, for black artists, for artists of color, so many times our work is not, is not um, properly um, stored mm-hmm. because oh, it, it's just expensive to do that. Mm-hmm. So something like a grant would help us to make sure that it's documented, make sure that it's stored correctly for the future. Because mm-hmm. we've lost so much of our visual culture because we have to move around a lot. And just the challenges of being a person of African descent mm-hmm. and in the arts.
0: So you were a co-founder of Black Artists of D.C. Yes. Uh, and that was the late 90s, I believe. Yes. You started. Mm-hmm. Um, was was this one of the the motivators to, to start that group, to, to share about the how to, to care for the art and, and network and intersect with other fellow artists?
1: Very much so. The first thing was to create a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, uh, to do workshops in uh, all aspects of um, not only the creation of work and materials, but also some of the issues on the business side of uh, of being an artist. So um, that, that was the motivation for it.
0: And that's continued on to the present day.
1: Yes, active. it's had its high times and its low <laughs> times, um, but it's still hanging in there. And we're always looking for young people uh, to come and join, uh, to drink from that community because it's a very it's a very warm, um, supportive community.
0: What's what's your membership like these days? Just in terms of numbers. In
1: numbers, I would say we, we have maybe um, 50 members, mm-hmm. um, but we have a listserv that services about 470 artists. Mm-hmm. And on that listserv, people can find calls, articles uh, pertaining to um, the business side of arts, the, um, the challenges emotionally, the challenges financially, um, um, uh, and different opportunities to share one's art.
0: And then you've, uh, as, as a group, y'all have participated in shows.
1: Yes, right? we've, uh, over the years, we've had over 30 exhibitions. Um, and um, we're working diligently to develop curators, um, to to uh, teach people how to handle work when it comes in, how to archive uh, the information pertaining to the work. So when people come into it, if they join one of the uh, committees, you actually get training in how to um, – uh, the, the different skill sets for these hmm. different areas.
0: That sounds very beneficial because I, I think a lot of times – we focus so much on the product, you know, whether it's in the visual arts, the the, the the painting or the sculpture, or in theater or the play, but there is always that back end, sort of the administrative, how do you care for it, how do you make sure that it lasts, how do you administrate it properly, and sometimes that's not at the top of our minds, but it's just as important as, as creating important. and putting the work out there so that it's still
1: around. That's very important.
0: Uh A couple of years ago, uh, you did a show in Baltimore, Occupational Hazards, (laughs) um, that's uh, involved mixed media and talked about the issues of of gentrification, particularly uh, around your neighborhood, but I think, you know, issues that are seen in many cities um, across the country. How was that exhibition received?
1: Very well. Um, and I was so happy to be able to have that exhibit in Baltimore um, at New Door Creative. That, that's a wonderful gallery, a wonderful gallerist, and um, and the um, the pieces I think were a, a little cha- a little challenging, um, but the community uh, came out. We had a wonderful uh, discussion and about. Baltimore, and the challenges it's face, facing with gentrification. And I felt as if having gone through this experience, not only in Harlem, but here in Washington, D.C., there were things that we, there were there was a very rich exchange there.
0: And did you see, having seen it in Harlem, in D.C., in Baltimore, you saw certain patterns
1: yes, I emerging.
0: Did. Um, that, uh, I know in an interview you talked about the, the 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 bags of mm-hmm. you know of what mm-hmm. people would sell drugs in as sort of like the first indicator because people were giving up you know and then that space comes up for grabs and then these it sort of starts a cascade effect almost it sounded
1: like yes and I and I don't I don't think the people give up I think that drugs are more available to a mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. and um, and also weapons are more available to mm-hmm. a community. And um well my experience has been that there is a, a systematic um, clearing of a community and on different levels. And one is the um, the increased availability of drugs and weapons. And, and then it um, it cascades from there. And so uh, we ha- we had a, a very, um, a very uh, informative exchange of information. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned uh, in that same interview that there is becomes a sense when development maybe starts to move in that things will get better, but the issue I think is that people get displaced in that development and so they're not able to reap you know any kind of benefits from from that is there do you think there is there a way to balance that without losing the the history and the memory of a place at the same time keeping it you know to improve the, the overall
1: well I don't think people are displaced I think they're removed hmm. and um, no. The people need to be there, mm-hmm. and there needs to be places for all—a mm-hmm. uh, sharing, mm-hmm. which makes for a richer, uh, deeper, richer, uh, more humane um, community. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that the people that come to an area. Um, need to understand that there's already so much there to respect uh, and to um, and to learn from. Mm-hmm. Yes, they bring some things, and that's a good thing. Uh, however, it needs to be a certain type, a certain level of respect and honor for what was there.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's finding that balance. It's you know, a balance. Yeah, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. unity, hopefully. Um, and I think this, I mean, there are, you know, I've lived in D.C. myself for 10 years, and there are parts of town that I wouldn't recognize from when I first came here, just in 10 years, just because how they changed. And when I go back home to San Antonio, even, there are parts of town that, what's all this? I, I would get lost because things, yes. you know, they just don't look
1: the same. And so there is that memory of the place. It's jolting. You know? It's jolting. It's a sense of being erased and um, I think it does damage to the to the human spirit, mm. and I think that we underestimate that, and it's unfortunate.
0: So, is this a, Are you continuing to explore these ideas and this theme in your in your artwork currently? Uh, post this uh, the uh, ocupi- occupational hazards.
1: Um, I think uh, occupational hazards was my se- my way of pushing back, Mm. Um, I think that I am now exploring more about the, um, what I call the human spirit, the um, resiliency of the human spirit, which is a part of that, Mm -hmm. um, but a little different.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some some things that you are working on currently or that you have coming up uh, in the future. Um, any, any exhibitions or themes, like you said, that you're exploring?
1: Yes. Um, well, currently, I'm, again, combining, combining drawing, printmaking, painting, collage, and assemblage even is in there, too. Um, I'm very interested in the tremendous energy that we, as human beings are a part of. we're we're a part of this,, um, this vibrating, Energy. Uh, we're we're a part of it, and it's a part of us. And um, I'm looking at some of the very sophisticated ideas of indigenous people um, surri- surrounding the infinite nature of the human spirit. So I um, I kind I looked at community folks, folks in my community when I was growing up, and I remember the elders used to sit and they would watch children playing and interacting with each other. And they would always find a way to take a look at some of the of the children and say, you know, that young man or that young lady has got potential. <laughs> and when they talked about potential, they were talking about the potential of that person not just now and in that time, but in the past and in the future, it's a very African way of thinking It's some in that in that phrase and in the way that uh people of African descent use language so often, it encapsulates the past, the present, and the future and um and I think i I want to I've been exploring that,
0: so it's always. Almost- the fluidity of time yes. that it's not, you know, linear per se, but it's, no. you know, more open and free moving. Yes. You've been in DC for a number of years um, and you've seen it changed uh, and you've explored some of those themes in, in your artwork. Um, and certainly, you know, there are the the less favorable parts of change and maybe the more favorable parts of change. What are What are some of the the positive or the benefits of that you've seen happen to the arts community in particular, or how has the arts community in DC over the years uh, changed or grown?
1: Well, um, when I first came here for graduate school, um, there were, oh my goodness, at least I think around 15 different black art galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, today, I I think they're just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the wall space in Washington, D.C. has been evaporating. That is a loss. However, people that the populations that are interested in art, um, curious about it, I think that population is growing. That's a positive. So we have a situation here in Washington, D.C., where we need to have more spaces to bring the creativity of the population, the art, the creative population here to um, to these new people that are arriving here and to people that have been here but missed the, um, having uh, more access to the work created by people in, in the district.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I find that folks that I talk to sometimes who have lived here for a number of years are surprised to learn about what we do have in terms of, of arts options, whether visual arts or theater that, you know, that they had never heard of, you know, certain galleries or certain performance spaces, even after a number of years, because it, the activity level, I think sometimes gets to a point where it's, you know, there's so much going on, you know, in all sorts of forms of, of, of life of entertainment, what have you, that it's, you miss certain things. Um, But there is that, how do you get the, you have an audience that is interested and would be, want to take part of it, and you have a creative community, that how do you bridge the gap?
1: Well, you know, years ago, we had, there was a gentleman named uh, Bernard Gray, and he had um, a a publication called Palava, and it listed all the different things that were going on Mm. in the district. I think that we could use something like mm-hmm. that now. We also we need a publication also that um, critiques the work deeply. Yeah. Uh, right now, we do have um, the Washington Post, but it is a national uh, publication, mm-hmm. so it many times it focuses on national issues. We need some things that deal with right here, homegrown work. And um, a schedule of the different activities that are happening, and it would be wonderful to have uh, something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: I think, especially the the critique side. I think a lot of the things that I think D.C. faces, there are, are being faced by other arts communities across the country. There, because I know that there, a lot of communities have lamented this sort of lack of real criticism, you know, in in the local journalism that you. Know, they may get a review, and but it doesn't. It doesn't have that in-depth aesthetic, right. you know, right. really pulling into the work and, right. and evaluating it because well, they they may not have the writers for that. Right. They may who but have that expertise, right?
1: Because that's how we grow,
0: right? Yeah, yeah to have someone from the outside look in and, and respond yes. to the work, right? Mm. So any. Any advice as a former teacher or a continuing educator, I know, when you uh, teach your workshops, um, what do you say to the the younger generation of artists who, you know, in D.C., facing their own particular set of of challenges with lack of wall space, uh, lack of venues, and yet an audience, you know, all of these things that we've been talking about, what sort of advice or tips or anything would you give?
1: Well, um, first, build community. Um, sometimes in art school we get fed this idea of the individual, lonely artist. Um, history does not uh, support that mm-hmm. idea. Build create build communities. Creative people need creative people, and check out. WPA whatever, but join, get that support, get that nourishment um, to continue your work. Uh, secondly, uh, open yourself up to perpetual evolution. Learning transforms your work. Uh, the third thing I would say, never give up. Tenacity and skill go hand in hand. Um, utilize the artist files at Martin Luther King Library it's a it's a part of their special collection and there you can open a file each artist can open a file and all of your exhibitions your critiques your articles can go in there and it's a way to document your existence and the development of your work and then apply for the offerings supplied by the DC Commission of the Arts. They are opportunities for tremendous growth. I know sometimes it can be overbearing because they are uh, sometimes seen as um, complicated. But once you work your way through it, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful. Um, uh, Opportunity.
0: Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your panel service as a grant panelist Mm -hmm. as well, because that's a very valuable service. Um, And we look forward to seeing what's next.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today.